Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, how many of you uh, have something that tracks your steps during the course of a day? Maybe a Fitbit, maybe an Iowa Apple phone or an Apple Watch, something of that nature. How many of you kind of like track your steps? Yeah. With, um, how many of you actually generally meet the recommended amount of steps for each day recommended by the CDC is 10,000? How many of you regularly get 10,000 steps? Ah, good for you, man. How, how many of you actually like intentionally walk to do that? Uh, something, something, yes. Right. So the CDC recommends that we take about 10,000 steps a day for optimal health. Uh, That averages to about five miles a person. On average, most people in the United States take only about three to 4,000 steps a day, and that equates to about 1.5 to 2 miles. Uh, The reason I bring up walking is because walking is what we do on a regular basis. Uh, Maybe some of you run for exercise, which is great, but you don't typically run from here to there. We walk from here to there. Walking is the way that we normally do life. It's how we live. It's the natural rhythm of life is walking. In Ephesians chapter 4, Jeremy started that last week, Paul actually starts out by referring to the Christian life as a walk. Now, sometimes when it's translated from the original, from Greek to English, sometimes our translators actually want want to help us out too much. And so you don't actually see the word walk in those verses. What you see is living a life. Here's what Ephesians 4, 1 says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The idea of living a life is the idea of walking. And so Paul is moving into this section and saying, hey, as a follower of Christ, this is to be the regular rhythm and pattern of your life. It's not something, you know, if if you run, you probably intentionally do that. If you exercise, you intentionally do that. But when you walk, you don't really say, okay, like now I'm going to do this activity of walking. You just flat out walk. And so Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy. He's saying, I pray that followers of Jesus, that this would be the the natural rhythm of their lives. They don't think, okay, now I'm going to obey God. They're just in a natural process of living in fellowship with God, responding to him, and living in, in touch with how he would have them live. Uh, What's interesting is that word walk occurs five times in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. So it's a pretty significant theme in these two chapters, the idea of walking, the idea of continuous living, the patterns and rhythms of our lives. In Ephesians chapter 4 that Jeremy looked at last week, Paul talks about the fact 
that as we walk, one thing that we're to be doing is walking with one another and serving one another in what Christ calls his body, his church, his people who are gathered together. That word church certainly applies to this gathering of people. Here it's not in reference to a church building. It's actually reference to a gathering of people. So it, it reflects the gathering here as well as the gatherings of followers of Jesus all over the world collectively. And they're to walk by serving and loving and strengthening one another. In Ephesians chapter chapters 1 through 3, Paul gives us all this information about who we are in Christ, how our relationship with God is not just simply this religious box. It's not something we hold in our brains. It's not sort of on the, the spiritual shelf of our lives, but who we are, our innermost being, our hearts, the core part of who we are, that's to be shaped by the dynamic of the gospel. Sometimes we say that we have, want gospel-shaped hearts and minds lead to gospel-directed actions and attitudes. So our hearts, our minds are to be shaped by the gospel, and then out of that, our walk, our actions and attitudes are to be directed by the gospel. One of the ways that happens earlier on in Ephesians 4 is, again, Jeremy looked at this week, last week, it's verse 7, it says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And so Paul says, one of the ways that you're to walk is that each person has received grace from God to have an impact and to have their lives impact others and strengthening them and their walk with God as well. He says, each one of us, every single person, it, it kind of reminds me in many ways of uh, sometimes we do a potluck around here. Uh, we do that a couple of years ago with Thanksgiving. We didn't do it last year because of, we didn't have a kitchen around here. Uh, but in a potluck dinner, everybody brings something, but nobody brings everything. Everybody brings something, but nobody brings everything. But because everybody brings something, you get a full meal with a diversity of things that bless your body. Uh, that's the way the church operates spiritually as well. Nobody brings everything, but everybody brings something. And so Paul says, each one of us brings something. And he says, each one of us, according to the grace that's given to us, uh, Paul uses the word grace 101 times in his letters. That's a lot. But we've mentioned this before. Most of the time when we think of grace, we naturally think of the grace of salvation that God gives to us. That he gives us a relationship with himself. He gives us fellowship with himself. And so we often think about grace in that context, and that's appropriate. But 15 out of the 101 times Paul uses the word grace, it's not about salvation. It's actually about the grace that God gives to us that enables us to serve others. That God in his kindness blesses us with capacities, with abilities, with talents by which other people are strengthened in their walk with God when we live out what God has blessed us with. And so 15 times the word grace is not in reference to the gift of eternal life, to the gift of fellowship with God, to the gift of belonging to him. 
Instead, it's actually used in terms of God's kindness in allowing us to participate in the, in the dissemination of the gospel into other people's lives in our world. It's pretty amazing the theology that Paul is explaining here. Sometimes, and I've certainly done this, I've probably taken, I don't know, well over a dozen spiritual gifts assessments in my life, and certainly they're helpful. Maybe you've taken one along the way, and spiritual gifts assessment kind of helps you to figure out maybe like how you're wired, uh, what your natural bent is, some of the things you're naturally inclined to do. But there's another side of spiritual gifts test that really, in some ways, is not helpful uh, because it kind of forces you to categorize yourself as I am this or I am that or kind of figure out the mystical idea of what your gift is. Uh, Klein Snodgrass says this. He says, God gives people as gifts and his gift is the way the spirit works through that person for the strengthening of the body. And you actually, you don't find anywhere in scripture that you're to sort of like take some test to figure out your spiritual gift. Certainly God does give gifts, but he gives gifts, he gives people as gifts, and the way that they impact others, the way that they strengthen others is a gift to the body. He goes on to say this, all Christians have received grace. That's exactly what Paul says to each one of us, grace has been given. All Christians have received grace and have a responsibility to build up the church as the Spirit works through each person for the good of the community, each person is a gift to the church. We would do well to have less concern with identifying gifts and more concern about being a gift. That is about how the Spirit functions through us to strengthen the body. I think those words are well said. I think we should probably need less focus on saying, okay, exactly what is my gift and how do I identify that than simply the question, how can I simply be a gift to someone else? Maybe by the gift of your presence, maybe by the gift of prayer, maybe by the gift of reading scripture, not so much, okay, here's my little gift, a thing, but how can God use me as a gift to strengthen and bless other people so that Christ could dwell in their hearts through faith? 1 verses 12 and 13, he says, God gifts these people. He gifts people. He, they do works to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And then Paul moves into Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 16. We're going to dive into those verses this morning. I'm going to ask Abby to come up, and she's going to read those couple of verses, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Oh, by the way, before Abby reads, sorry about that, um, <laughs> Notice the first word that Abby reads when she reads these verses. The first word is going to be then. 
And when Paul says then, he's not necessarily talking about time so much, but he's talking about this is going to be the natural result. The natural result of the body being strengthened, the natural result of the body being built up, the natural result of the body becoming mature, attending to the fullness of Christ, that is going to result in exactly the verses that Abby reads. The first word she's going to read is the word then. And so as the body is strengthened, as it's functioning, here's the resulting influence of the body using its gifts. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thank you, Abby. Uh, verse 14, again, that she read. Notice it starts out with the, the word then. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Paul is looking at a very kind of uh, fluctuating person here. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Friends, here's the deal. There's always some sort of new take on how to be a better follower of Jesus. Somebody's always turning over a new leaf on how you can live the victorious Christian life. And I'm not saying none of that is helpful. It certainly can be. As the body of Christ grows, we, we grow more deeply into understanding God's truth, and, and we need that. But there can also be kind of lots of fads, or if I'm, I'm very skeptical if I read the headline of an article, the title of an article, and it says, like, the key to this, or it's something you've never known. Um, listen, friends, that's generally a fad. It's generally some sort of hype, some sort of turning over new leaf. Paul says, beware of jumping on the latest bandwagon of what seems super spiritual, super cool, super trendy that everyone's talking about. Stay true to actually the basics and the essence of the gospel, what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. Maybe sometimes I ask myself this question, even based off of Ephesians 1 through, th through 3. Am I being strengthened by the one who has glorious riches? Before I jump on some new fad, before you, you jump on some new book, are you actually being strengthened by the one who has glorious? Do you perceive God as having glorious riches to bless your spiritual life with? Are you being strengthened in your innermost being through his word? You see, if, unless you're locked into that, you kind of be like this bottle on the ocean or this piece of wood on the ocean that is just tossed here and there and it's never rooted and grounded. In Christ, is Christ dwelling in my heart? Is Christ dwelling in your heart through faith? Are you constantly reminding yourself of gospel truths? 
Are you, are you constantly wrapping your heart around the truth of the beauty of the gospel, of God being present with you through his spirit, of his love being toward you in the person of Jesus? Is your heart constantly circling and meditating on that truth? So there's two things we're going to look at, uh, two different things, but they both each have kind of like two things in themselves. Number one is rooting and truthing. So in verse 14, Paul talks about rooting. He talks about infants tossed back and forth. He talks about being blown here and there. And he says, instead of being blown about, we need a rooting of our lives in a truth of the gospel. And so are you sinking the roots of your lives into the truth of the gospel? But notice it's not only uh, rooting, it's also truthing. It's also truthing. Here's what he says in verse 15. Instead of being blown about, instead of being a bobber on the ocean, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. He says, speaking the truth in love. So there's rooting. Instead of being blown about, instead of being a bobber on the ocean, there's rooting, but there's also truthing. That idea of speaking the truth, that's not three words in the original language. It's actually just one word. And the idea is it's a verb that we're truthing one another. We're to be truthing one another and reminding each other of gospel truth that our lives need to be rooted in. What does, going back to Ephesians 1, what does Christ dwelling in our hearts look like? It looks like peace. It looks like joy. It looks like love. It looks like serving, like faithfulness. It looks like sexual holiness. It looks like mercy and compassion. It looks like being present in the moment rather than always distracted. It looks like not being frenzied or frenetic or frantic. It looks like humility. It looks like self-sacrifice. How does that happen? It happens as we are truthing one another in love, as we remind each other of gospel truths. Maybe I'll get a little bit more specific on that based on what we've seen in Ephesians already. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about a truth of the gospel that has been a fresh revelation from God. Here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Again, this is something that you're not going to figure out by intuition. This is not something you're going to just figure out and naturally arrive at. The only way that we know this is because God has revealed it in the person of Jesus. So here's what it says. He made known to us the mystery of his will. So it was previously unknown. Nobody would have ever figured this out before. Uh, this was new territory. According to his good pleasure, God has great pleasure. He's delighted about this mystery. He's delighted about this truth. He's like amped up about the joy of this. This is a great nugget. Uh, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him. Regarding his plan, so this is God's plan, of the fullness of time, so it's not something that's fully here, but something that's coming. Listen, phrases next is important. To bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul says, hey, there's 
This is a new idea. This is a mystery. This is something nobody ever figured out before. Nobody ever dreamed this up. God freshly revealed this. And what he revealed is that through the person of Jesus, God will at some point bring all that's disconnected, all that seems confusing, he'll bring that all together under the one person of Christ in both heaven and on earth. The idea that he, the word that he uses there is actually the word that's often used in accounting. And the the idea uh, is that it needs to add up. You know, when you kind of tabulate things and you're just like, like it, maybe it doesn't add up. Or maybe even logically there's a topic and you think, ah, like that doesn't quite add up. Paul is saying it's only through Christ that things that presently do not add up will eventually finally add up. Now, here's the deal. So, so that's the revelation that God gave to Paul that only in Christ... Things that seem confusing, things that don't add up, things that seem to be inconsistent with how God would operate, that someday they're going to add up and actually contribute to the glorious goodness of God. Now, connect that truth. How do we truth one another in that truth? How do we truth one another with that gospel reality that Jesus will make all things finally add up that presently don't seem to add up. Well, number one, what that means, if you were to truth me, remember we're truthing in love, if you were to truth me in love or I were to truth you in love, the first thing that we would probably need to do is listen well because God values people. His sovereign hand is at work in every single life. And so the one way that I can truth you in love and the way that you can truth me in love is to simply, for me to listen to, to, listen to your story and hear from you, like, here's what presently does not seem to add up. Here's presently what seems to be confusing. Here's what in my life seems to make absolutely no logical sense for God's hand to be involved. It's one way that we can truth one another in love is simply entering into one another's story. Why? Because the message of the gospel is God entering our lives in the person of Jesus. Jesus became flesh and entered our lives. That's the message of the gospel. So for us to truth one another in love from the standpoint of the gospel is we enter into each other's stories. Does that make sense? That's one thing that we do when we truth one another in love. Well, maybe that takes... Some time, and again, maybe this is one conversation. Maybe it's a conversation that happens over six months or a year. So maybe, maybe the first thing is simply entering someone's story. That's what it means to truth one another in love. To simply even acknowledge, yeah, like there's some stuff in your life that at least for me as a human being does not seem to add up. There's some really painful things, difficult things, hard things. There's some things that, literally don't add up. Maybe another step in truthing one another in love is maybe begin to point to the gospel. You know, there were some, some things about Jesus' life. Everybody thought that when he died on a cross, it was over. It didn't add up. 
The work of God seemed remarkably confusing. How could the crucifixion of Jesus possibly have any good come out of it at all? And so maybe the truth, one another in love, is to even just affirm the messiness, the confusion, the mystery that what is happening in your life or my life truly does not seem to add up in the present. Just like the truth of the gospel is the work of Jesus' death and his birth, it did not seem to add up. And yet, maybe a third step is, man, out of what happened in the life of Jesus, his horrific death, like God actually brought life out of that. The truth of the gospel is that God's power is so overwhelming. The way that he works is so mysterious. He actually brings something amazing. He actually brings life out of death. And so maybe you'll see some of that in this life, but, but whatever the case, the verse says that God will bring this about in the end, that in the fullness of God's time, that, that one day he's going to bring all the stuff that doesn't add up, that's a complete mystery, that's a complete complexity, and he's actually going to cause that to somehow result in his honor and glory. He's going to be glorified through your story. You can trust him. He's going to be glorified through what you're somehow, and I can't figure out how some, somehow the things that seem least likely to add up in your life, someday Jesus is going to cause them to add up. And so you can have hope. You can have confidence that, that through Jesus, what seems complicated, what seems broken, what seems utterly incongruous, with the involvement of God's hand in your life, what seems utterly opposed to his love, someday God is going to cause that all to add up through the person of Jesus. That's truthing one another in love. That's giving gospel truth to each other in the context of love. Sometimes we use this verse to say, oh, like I got to give you the hard truth. And I'm going to do that in love. It certainly has application to that. But from the context of Ephesians, what Paul is talking about is truthing one another with the truth that is given us in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 and taking that truth and reminding each other of that truth in love. I don't know about you, but I need to be truthed in love. Anybody here join me on that? Like, we need to be truthing one another in love. Uh, this year, I'm, you know, reading through the Bible again, and sometimes I get behind and all that kind of thing. So <clears throat> sometimes some cool stuff happens when you actually have to read, like, four or five or six chapters at one point, especially right now I'm in numbers. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, like reading six chapters, that's pretty challenging. Um, but I was kind of behind, and I also honestly wanted to cheat and get further ahead. Uh, so I read about like six chapters, uh, one, I think it was Friday or Thursday, I forget when it was. And one thing that you notice when you read a number of chapters is sort of uh, things that you don't see when you just read a verse or, or a chapter. So it's amazing in the beginning of Numbers, the number of times that it says the people of Israel and Moses did all that God commanded. I mean, it's amazing. Like time and time again, it says, God said to do this, and they did it. 
They did it all. They did it completely. God said to the people of Israel, hey, do this. They did it all. They did it completely. And then it's almost this like change of a page, except you're in the same book. And now they're whining. Now they're complaining. Here God provided all of this, took care of them, blessed them, worked on their behalf. And then they just flat out complain. And I, I, I literally talked, I think, with three friends on Friday. And somewhere or another, some of my phone calls them personally. They said, like, man, like my heart was so stirred by that because the words that God uses in numbers is that God was exceedingly angry because they were whiners. They, he was exceedingly angry because they forgot his provision, they forgot his faithfulness, and now they were complaining and whining like, where is God? And I, I shared with three different people, like, man, like, I need to see that in my own life. And, and so for three conversations that day, we were just like truthing one another in love. Like, I needed to truth them in love because they needed reminders of gospel truth in their lives. I needed them to truth me in love because I needed gospel reminders in my life. We were truthing one another in love. And so Paul says when the body is built up, when it's functioning well, we're constantly truthing one another in love. You know, some of the groups we have around here are actually designed to truth specific areas of life in the gospel, in love. A trauma was mentioned this morning. We have Let's Talk Marriage. It meets once a month on Thursdays. We have Moms Mentoring Moms. It meets once a month on, I think, Tuesdays, and I think it might be, anyway, just, it meets once a month. I know it's actually the first Tuesday, and I think there's an evening session as well. We have dads and fathers that meet, I think, every other week. We have moms and daughters. We have, what's the mission of each of those groups? Literally, to truth one another in love in a particular area. And some of us might be truthed in the gospel in love in the area of marriage. Some of us need to be truthed in love in the area of trauma. Like how does the gospel interact with the trauma that I'm going through? And so whether it's groups, whether it's Sunday morning, what, what, during the week, we're constantly truthing one another in love and reminding each other of the gospel. There's rooting and truthing. No longer being blown here and there, but being truth in gospel truth, being rooted and grounded in that. Secondly, we won't take much time for this, but growing and moving. So there's rooting and truthing. There's growing and moving. It says in verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Down in verse 16, he says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You can hear the idea of growing and moving. The body joined, held together. Why does it need to be held together? Because it's moving somewhere. Notice this verse. Everybody say this with me. What are the first two words of this verse? Say it with me. They're from him. Say that again. From him. So 
Paul says, the first 16, from him, the whole body is joined and held together. Whose job is it? It's from him. Now, say with me also the last, I don't know, six or so words of this verse. In other words, everything that comes after the last comma that begins with the word as. See that? So let's say that together. As each part does its work. Say those two things, the from him and as each part does its work. A question, is it God or is it us? And the answer is yes, right? It's from him. It's, that's what the verse says. It's from him. It's God that does this. But God doesn't just like do it magically from his throne. What's the process that God uses to strengthen and move and grow his body as each part does its work? Sometimes we get all twisted up. Is it God? I don't know. It's both. It's yes. It's from him. But God also does it as each part does its work. Sometimes, like, you know, in kind of a sense of jesting, uh, we say around here, like, man, like, God does amazing things. And sometimes, in a sense of jesting, I say, like, like you should see this place when only God shows up. Like, it's really empty. Like, there's not a lot of activity happening. Yeah, God does it all. But for some reason, God doesn't seem to be doing like a whole lot, at least here, like when there's nobody here. I know he does it, continues to work as people disperse all over the place because we have his Holy Spirit. But, the, but here's the truth. Like, God kind of uses you. God doesn't spiritual, magical, spiritual sprinkle dust all over the place and it happens. It's from him, but it's as each person does its work. I think this applies certainly to our congregation here, but it also applies even as we prayed earlier, as we sang earlier, to God's people wherever they're gathered all over the world. God's body is growing. It's being strengthened. And bodies that grow do activity. They have an impact and so God's body is moving, it's growing. The influence of the gospel, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed that starts small and it's constantly expanding. We're in that season of expansion. I've been listening to a couple of speakers lately and, and one of them reminded me of the fact that there's a number of uh, Christian leaders, international leaders and international organizations who have kind of put the year 2035 on the calendar as a season of time where hopefully literally every tribe, nation, and language will have some kind of access to the gospel. I think that date used to be out to like 2050 or 2055, something like that. And the last several years with the, again, the growth of technology and the provoke the ability to use technology to put the gospel in people's hands, it's actually been bumped back 15 years to 2035. And so by 2035, uh, we'll still need to teach the gospel, preach the gospel, but generally every tribe, nation, and language hopefully should have some sort of access to the gospel by the year 2035, which is kind of interesting because Jesus gave the Great Commission and the Great Commission is go into all the world and preach the gospel. He probably gave that roughly around 30 years old. 
And so in the year 2035, we'll actually be celebrating the 2000th anniversary of Jesus giving the Great Commission and saying, go all over the world. And roughly around that same time, we'll actually be celebrating that literally every tribe, nation, and language now has some kind of access to the gospel. Isn't that cool? Just amazing, friends. But here's what I want you to hear. It's not just a geographical thing. It's not that just the gospel needs to geographically go into every tribe, nation, and language. The gospel also needs to go into every vocational area, into every office building, into every living room, into every dining room. And so maybe you're in a field of education, and as the body is strengthened and, and you're strengthened and Christ dwells in your heart through faith because the body is doing its job and truthing you in the gospel and you're growing, you'll actually increasingly become the presence of Christ in the field of education or the field of medicine or the field of accounting or the field of law or the field of sales, wherever you are. And so it's not as though the Great Commission is just geographical. The Great Commission is also into every aspect, every arena, every sphere of life. And as Jesus' body is built up, as it's strengthened, as, we, as Christ grows in our heart through faith, as we truth one another in the gospel, as we're rooted in the, in the truths of who Jesus is, his body is growing and moving and expanding, not only to tribes and languages, but also into office buildings and dining rooms and hallways and classrooms and stores. And as his body is strengthened, he actually uses you for it to grow and expand, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. I'm going to ask our team to come out, and we're going to sing this last song that just simply reminds us that God uses his people to bring a healing to the world, to be his healing presence in our land. Uh, Sometimes maybe it can be discouraging. There's a lot of darkness. But friends, I want to encourage you today. Truth one another in the gospel. Strengthen one another in the truth of God's word. Because as we do that for each other, it's going to be God's work. But as we do that for each other, for each of us, Christ will dwell in our hearts more strongly by faith. Maybe here's a little suggestion when you go to, I guess this is mostly first service, but when you, if you have a baby or someone who was cared for the service, simply thank the volunteers. Say, hey, thank you for truthing my child in the gospel this morning. Thank you for truthing my child. Send a note to your group leader this week. Thank you for truthing me in the gospel. Thank you for truthing me in love. And may we be a church that just constantly, constantly truths one another in the gospel. And there'll be growth and movement of the body. Let's stand and, and sing the song.
thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, just pray that as you uh, go out in the world, in your jobs at home, that you just speak truth and life into those around you. Uh, if you're online, we're so glad that you could join us this morning. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, if you need prayer, uh, we'd love to pray for you uh, down to your right. Um, just people over here would love to pray for you. And uh, yeah, just have a great rest of your week. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. Thank you.